0: Welcome to the CTO studio. Today I talk to one of my heroes, <laughs> uh, someone that I, I met at uh, Rubicon, i uh, become friends with, and we talk about giving yourself permission not to finish some software projects. We get deep into Terraform and HashiCorp. Take a listen.
1: Well, I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It, it looks something like this.
0: Welcome to the CTO Studio. I'm your host, Etienne de Bruin. The CTO Studio is where we chat with CTOs building amazing products with incredible teams. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Evan Phoenix, have you read the Phoenix Project? No. Oh, you should. What is it? Is dev, it a pamphlet that they a, give out at the grocery store? It's a novel. Okay, a DevOps novel.
1: Oh no, I have. Okay, is this a one? The one about the like weird calendar thing? Okay, I have read it, and this this is. This. Okay, I absolutely have read it and we
0: are not redoing this intro we're gonna keep keep this intro okay cool
1: so i i absolutely have read it and here's here's why i was confused because i read it That book is like 10 years old, yeah, probably yeah, yeah. and so i read it eight years ago or something like that and i was actually thinking about it recently and i have a copy of it couldn't remember the title couldn't remember the people i tried to look it up and i was like what do i look up again like calendar fail (laughs) that's basically what i tried to google and i was like it's just like people talking about how google calendar didn't work right (laughs) so i couldn't remember okay now thank you you've you've solved a mystery for me
0: oh literally now
1: yeah absolutely right now because i had been wanting to go back and look at it again because we were talking about it at work uh and uh, but i couldn't remember it but now i know now i gotta go see if i can find it amongst my books But
0: isn't that the uh the the sign of the times when your heart rate goes up because you don't know what to tell the Google yeah. about the thing you're trying yeah. to find.
1: Like, what is the... I have a... Do we want to go off on this tangent really fast? This is what we're doing. Okay. So there's a movie that I saw as a, as a child. Uh, I must have been seven, six or seven. And it was a Japanese animation and it scared the living daylights out of me. And it's, it stuck itself so deep in my psyche because it was so scary. At the
0: tender age of seven.
1: Yeah, that it stayed with me for, for forever. And so about 10 years ago, I was like, I have to figure out what this movie was because it would randomly come up every once in a while. And it was that same thing. It was like, what do I type in? I <laughs> was I, like,
0: can I show the machine something? <laughs> like, and-
1: <laughs> how do I get this, this picture out of my head? And so I would Google, every once in a while, I would Google like, scary japanese animation <laughs> unicorn 1980s and i would find here's the funny thing i would find people the, the same terms on message boards saying like does anyone remember this weird movie from the 80s that was like so the, this has a happy ending 3 years ago found the movie and it's on youtube i watched it again and i was like why did i watch this in the in the 80s oh so even now you were like oh shit this oh, is yeah, serious absolutely i i thought to myself that i so i was living in montana in the 80s no i was living in wyoming uh, depends on i i moved in, in the late, mid to late 80s so some of one of those places regardless of those two places how did i get exposed to this weird japanese animation in, was it
0: a maybe some teenage kid through the through that,
1: the, the vhs type that's what while. i was thinking that's what i'm wondering because I, people have talked about Segan on hbo in the ladies and i was like we didn't have hbo we didn't have cable until the early 90s until like 94 93 something like that and so i we had three channels for most of the time i was growing up so i don't know how i yeah it must have been some someone who was babysitting me or i don't i have no idea
0: and so were you able to sort of close the loop now or you, oh yeah you i felt so
1: much it, better actually I, when i finally found it i was like this weight was lifted what was the key thing you
0: told seven year old evan after you w- just watched it? it was like uh
1: it, I, you know it was less scary seeing it as, a, scary. as an adult yes. and so actually I, I got to kind of scrub all of those elements that i remember being like this is the scariest scene I've ever seen. Like that was how I remembered it. I and feel I,
0: afraid just listening to you. I, I'm like, <laughs> and I
1: went and watched that those scenes. I, I watched the whole movie again. It's not really that long. And um, and I would watch those ske- scenes that I remember being really scary. I remember se- thinking to myself as an adult, the sound designer on this movie was amazing because that was actually the scariest part of this movie. Yes, is because like uh, the sa- I re- I have all of the, these visceral memories of this like scary sounds and all this no, kind of stuff. And so that, that, that audio yeah.
0: memory. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, this happens to me when I try to find songs that I used to love as a kid, mm. and I can just barely latch onto a lyric.: Yeah. And I'm just like, "Oh, I think this is what the lyric said." <laughs> and then I have seen the thing where people are on message boards saying, "Does anybody have a copy of this song?" Yeah. Uh,
1: I used to listen to uh, my mom would drive me around and just put the like top 40 radio on and so like i have all these songs will come on randomly and i'm like i can i have this memory all of a sudden like i'm looking at the window on the landscape of wyoming again like speaking of that
0: this is a brilliant segue it might uh, make you slightly uncomfortable
1: (laughs) after this this conversation so far i don't think it's possible
0: (laughs) so um in about 08 or 09 i decided to lift my head from my startup and look around and kind mm. of see what everyone else was doing. And um, I built my my product content management system as a service in Lampstack. And, uh, you know, Rails had sort of matured beyond fanboy status in my mind. Um, and I was interested very much in Rails and microservices and looking at adding and um, innovating without… Lobotomizing by just adding on microservices and slowly changing things. And Ruby, you know, I joined the San Diego Ruby community and I quickly became an organizer, apparently because I started SD Rails. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't, I was so new to it, I didn't realize it was the same thing. I thought Rails was a thing and Ruby was a thing. Anyways. And uh, I ended up going to a RubyConf and um, Martz was there. And DHH was there. Yeah. But the thing that my senses remembers, and I have that audio reminder of, of the whole conference, was your talk.
1: Uh, which, what was the talk? It was about Rubenius. Okay. And I think you were... were we, I th- I think, was it in Denver? Was it that one? I
0: forget which one it was, man. But, um, okay. you know...
1: Was it about a Dune
0: buggy? I was, I was a little starstruck. I am a little starstruck. Is that okay? <laughs> let the let the audio listeners. I just, I just touched Evan. Mm-hmm.
1: It was um, all consensual. Thank you.
0: Um, the no, it was profound. I mean, to thank me, you. you were like um, a. I didn't understand what Rubinius was. B, and I'm new, not sure I did at being being that point either. Ruby and I and I, I want to say that there was a little bit of contention in the air. I feel like yeah. you were setting the record straight on something or uh, there was something going on. I was too new to the community to know what it was. Yeah. But I, I will say that from my very first days in the Ruby community, to me, you were like oh, thank the rock you. Star. Thank you. So I'm very, very happy to have you. Oh. And to then have a friendship with you is huge. Warm fuzzies. <laughs> What is Rubinius? Is it still around?
1: Yeah, um, the basically the person who worked on it with me the most over the years, Brian Shirai, uh, is still working on it, maintaining it, doing different things with it. Um, I haven't worked on it in five years or so, but um, yeah, it's still still kicking around. So,
0: are you uh, are you still? You're a prolific open source contributor, and I mean, you 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 build stuff. Yeah it's still part, at HashiCorp, it's still part of your day? That's yeah. Like, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I What built, is your role at... Yeah, at HashiCorp, I'm the, the lead engineer on the private Terraform enterprise. So we have a product called like Terraform Enterprise, uh, which is primarily a SaaS. And um, the project started a few years ago to basically, how can we let people install this as on-premises software? And so that, how to solve that that quandary... Yeah, and
0: so. uh, the last time we spoke, well, I mean, a couple of years ago, you were actually launching a startup also yeah. in the infrastructure space. Mm-hmm. Is that still around or did no. you?
1: No. So we, we folded. What was that called again? Uh, Vectra. Vectra. Yeah. And so we, we were working on, this was all, uh, we started it uh, like about a year or two pre-Kubernetes. And so we were going to build the paths. We were going to do a bunch of other things. We worked on it for about a year before we realized, I don't think we want to do this. Um, and so we kind of, we, we switched gears. We started building a piece of what we're, what I was thinking was going to be the largest strategy at the time, which was a, uh, logging, like a logging SAS, um, uh, that did structured logging. Was that current.sh? Yes, it was. Yeah. So mm. that was current.sh. So we worked on that for again, eight or nine months or so until we were sort of at the end of where our runway was in terms of money. And then I had to, we kind of had to figure out what we wanted mm. to do. Um, mm. And I, uh, I, I had some tearful weeks trying to figure out what to do. And I kind of decided like, I didn't really like being a CEO. And Mm. so I was like, okay, I just, Mm. I don't think I want to do this anymore. So we kind of folded up shop and at the same time. uh, We were, we had talked to uh, HashiCorp about what we were doing and stuff like that. And they were like, why don't you come over and join us? So they kind of, they, Mm. they brought us all over. So so. in
0: a way you're, you you get to do what you love, but with this amazing company.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's it's kind of a a it, for me, it's a best case scenario, right? Like I didn't I didn't like being a CEO, um, but I liked being able to work on interesting problems and have some say in what I get to work on and that kind of thing. And so you know, Group is definitely yeah, allowed you know, that.
0: Totally, you know, uh, for me, um, as a, I've been programming since I was very young, and I basically built my career on building stuff. And seven CTOs, which is a people business and a startup to get CTOs in the same room mm-hmm. and to collaborate. I wake up at least one day a week where I think I can't do this. Yeah. Like I, not I'm tired and you know, everyone goes screw themselves, like literally thinking I cannot do this. Yeah. I'm not the person to do this.
1: I was feeling that every morning. <laughs> so you seven, only one day a week, I'd say you're probably doing, you're probably right on schedule. Okay, thank then Thank you. So. That's a
0: nice reframe. <laughs> Uh, did you, uh, what, when did you just we did, did, did you just, why did you think you wanted to be a, a founder of your own company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I wanted, uh, I think what every founder thinks they're getting when they started off, which is like, oh, I've got a lot control. I can do whatever I want to do. I can make the decisions if I don't want to do this, if I want to go fast, if I want to go slow, like I get to be the one making. Which those goes decisions.
0: away though, when you have investors, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, it does. It absolutely, like we had basically just friends and family money so we didn't have real investors that we were beholden to but regardless if you know we were that we were at the phase where we were looking for investors and so therefore we were we were we would be in that boat of trying to say like they're going to dictate speed mm. to a certain extent right they're going to dictate how much risk tolerance you're going to have right It, it you know when you're when you're just by yourself or you're with one other person and you're like i can I can make all these crazy decisions. I can finally use this thing I've always wanted to use. It's like, okay, great. Like that's a super, it may be fun, but like the risk is really high mm, for that. And mm. so, yeah, if you're on your own, it's your own, your, own, your own risk to take. But if you have other people's money and they've given you and they expect something back from you, they're going to kind of dictate your risk tolerance a little bit. Um, Do
0: you feel like the 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 job or like what I realized as I started investing in my own ideas was that I thought that the tech was 90% of the problem and that the 10% would, you'd sure. have to work on it, but it yeah. was only 10%. Sure. And I hate to say that that's build it and they will come. It wasn't really that. It was more like I have to invest in getting this tech thing out there yeah. ASAP. Meanwhile, I realize now that the tech is 10%, man. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, the, 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 the actual, like, <laughs> I have a friend who, who calls himself a professional typist and it, it, and but the funny thing is that like and he's very good at what he does but like you know we are physically typing 5% of the time maybe mm. right um but other than that i would say like yes the tech is probably 10% but the the like 25% before that is like what are we what are we going to build right like you know like you so often and being like i'm always working on random hobbies and project hobby projects and all kinds of stuff and so for me it's like what do i really want to put my time into right and so Mm. if you're a startup and you're Mm. like oh i've got like the universe is open to me well like a significant percentage of your time has to be spent like what tiny little sliver do i actually want to take from this and that's not really the tech that's not the implementation that's like what is that yes, little sliver yeah. to do?
0: But do you think that you can you can free yourself from that enslavement by just saying, Hey, I wanted to do this for fun?
1: Yeah. Who cares? And that's that's basically what I did. Yeah. So I I mean, you know, I have my work stuff, um, which I love, um, uh, but I I have still have tons of like I start a new weird project every couple of weeks just because So the way that I like to talk about it is, you know, people who are hobby painters? Mm-hmm. They're like you know, and you maybe you you hear about them, and you see a movie about them, and someone goes into their garage, and it's just full of half started canvases, and you're like, w- "What is all of this?" And they're like, "Well, I paint for myself. I'm just painting for yes, me." Yes, yes. That's what my GitHub page is. That's what my GitHub repository. Well, I think is. I
0: saw 160 repos in there.
1: Oh, there's at least that many in there. I,
0: I literally saw 160 yeah. something. Yeah, and and it's
1: That's admirable. Yeah. Well, I mean, but half of them don't work yeah, yeah. because they're not. But they're not for anybody else. But
0: I think that you. I think that is the reframe is. Just just do it because you just, just. it's just, it doesn't have to freaking be a business. No, no, absolutely not. And I, I, th- I think that I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was a technical podcast and they were just talking about the, what problem are you solving? Like, or, you know, talk to your customers. And I just felt like, wow, did all of us engineers just become these wannabe, like, like mining for gold, hoping for... <laughs> To strike it rich, when really we probably start a coding because of that craft yeah. and that enjoyment,
1: right? Absolutely, you know. In the same way that you know, if you're a, if you do anything else, engineering, computer science specifically is such a weird, it's such a weird thing, right? Because it's part art, part craft, part trade craft, you know. And uh, I think we you get into like, well, like a engineer wouldn't just go build a bridge because he just likes bridges. First of all, they might, but. <laughs> Second of all, if they had the ability to do it on the regular, just like I'm going to build a brand new bridge today, and I don't have to spend any capital time yes, investment, yes. it's just me on my couch building a bridge, they yes. probably would.
0: Yes, right. I mean, you would call, you would run into the house, and call your wife and say, "Darling, come and look at the bridge I built in the Yeah,
1: I, I, you know. And so, I, I think that computer science is such a weird, like you know, there's so much normal engineering how do i want to do this and how do i structure this so yeah, this won't break yeah. but there's also the artistry of saying yes. like well how do i actually want the? what do i want this thing to yes. do and how should it feel and all that kind of stuff that yeah i mean i i'm far i'm way more on the on the like i'm a pragmatic engineer but at the same time i'm like i just want to go crazy sometimes i just want to like write something weird that doesn't make any sense yeah. and not I, worry about it
0: i feel like i the, my best moments like that are on long flights. Oh, yeah. I built a I, whole MVC r- reflection style thing in C, ba- inspired by rails. And I was like, I called it Alpine. Sure, yeah. By the time I landed, I had Alpine MVC,
1: yeah. and it was it was amazing. I, I really hope that they keep the Wi-Fi prices on flights high to incentivize me to not use <laughs> it. <laughs> Because like this, yes, because just to disconnect. Yeah, when we before we had Wi-Fi on flights, you'd be like, oh, "I'm just I'm here in my own little world, in a little in a little bubble." And how many times have you thought,
0: "Okay, I'm going to work on this project," and then when you do the go get or the, you realize, "Oh, shit, that package is yeah. not on my machine."
1: Yeah. Then you have
0: to go think of something else, and then you come up
1: with brilliance. Absolutely. Yeah, I have I have absolutely had times on flights or somewhere where I didn't have internet where i've been like okay this is an interesting problem now i have to constrain myself i can't just go out and like i can't look it up i can't google it i can't google it i can't find a a, a thing that might do this so like what can i do that's in this vein with just what oh. i have in front of me right and
0: that's innovation right there man
1: and well but and and the artistry of that is that is a, literally a painting exercise like people are like okay you have four colors paint a sunset well, you've got, you give me four shades of brown. Here. Okay, well, still paint a sunset. And you're going
0: to come up with something beautiful. Absolutely. Have you ever done the four marker challenge with your kids yet? No. Or you're going to blow their minds. <clears throat> or they blew my mind. Okay. You basically have a, a, a bucket of markers and yeah. colors. You print out some Disney characters or whatever. Uh-huh. And then you all have to close your eyes and you have to pick four colors from the bucket. Okay. And then you have a competition on who's... Painting or coloring yeah. in is the most profound. Oh, I like it. And my kids are addicted to it. <laughs> and I, uh, honestly, as an adult, I often think, serious? But then I sit there and coloring in is, is quite, an, quite an amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Rubinius, and then, uh, I know that you spent some time at Splice with our I dear did. friend Matt. Yeah. yeah, I did. What's it like working for that guy? It, it. On camera. <laughs> On hey camera. Matt, he's looking at you, man. He's he's
1: wonderful. <laughs> uh no, he's he's a dear friend. Um he's actually great he's great to work for.
0: Robot voice. Yeah. Robot robot voice. Robot voice. <laughs> no, yeah, you're like dun, 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 no, he's, dun, 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 dun. he's great to work he's for.
1: A, I love. <laughs> thank you for hiring me. No, uh, <laughs> So what's funny is it was pretty this is Because
0: uh, you went to um a living social you guys have sort of walked apart yeah, together.
1: So I um I was his manager at living social for a little while, um, before he left to go work on splice. And this is, I worked on splice five years ago now. Um, and so, uh, what happened was I left living social, um, and I left it. I did one of those like ultimatum, either this is getting done in two weeks or I'm going to quit and it didn't get done. And so I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Wow yeah
0: did, were you proud of that or were you yeah it did felt, you regret oh that? it
1: felt great no no because it, i had gotten i had i had gone through a lot of different things that at living social just because of i had been hired i was hired actually hired as like the director of platform and i never actually did that job and then i actually demoted myself at one point in time um so that i could actually like get some work done and um, i got to the point where i was like i really just want to get some i really want to do this thing and i had been told like hold on, hold on, hold on. So many times that I was like, either it's getting done now or this is it. Mm. Anyway, so I left and I, I'd already had in my mind like, Oh, I should do a startup like this is, this is bef- right before Vectra. And so I, I was kind of mulling it over. I didn't have any money, so I couldn't do it yet, but I'd already, I'd sort of left living social, just no plan, figure it out. <coughs> Story of my life. Um, and so uh I I talked to Matt and he's and he and to say like, hey, I left other things social, I want to do my own startup, but I do you have any contracting that you have right now mm. and stuff like that. He's like, Oh, well yeah, I do have some stuff. Why don't we hire you so that you have health insurance and stuff like that, mm. and then we can figure it out mm. from there. Um, I think they were hoping that my startup wouldn't work out and I would just still be there, but that doesn't matter. Um, and so uh Matt hired me Matt, the 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 tech team had gotten to the point where he didn't have the time to really be doing engineering anymore. Mm. He just mm. just flopped over on mm. that 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 uh, point in time. How
0: large was the engineering team?
1: Uh, it wasn't huge. It was probably, mm. I'm probably going to get this wrong. I'm going to say seven. Okay. Um, and, but they were thinking a, about, a lot about their products, a lot about what they wanted mm. to do. And so he, a lot of his time was spent like, know, they're working on the 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 very beginning of the the plug in stores was being Mm -hmm. worked on there and lots of other things. So he hired me and basically I did what he no longer could do. So all of the random projects, projects that were just on the floor, as it were, that he was had been working on, he was like, can you just take these over and work on them and do whatever? I'll give you some random stuff to do. And it was sure, okay. Um and it was uh I had some really interesting weeks that were super fun. Like there was one week where excuse me one week where i worked on like i was working on the first version of the plugin store and i ended up like writing a c library to then i wrote some objective c to do the client and then i wrote some ruby for the back end and then i wrote some go for this other piece and then i wrote some javascript for this other piece so that like you could click on a button and it would like go through all the cycle and then install this thing and like that was super fun it was like a whole week i've had i worked on like six little pieces of the same pipeline in six different languages. So that was. So, a and did
0: you have to, did you then manage the engineering team? As me? Well? No. Okay. No, he was doing all of uh, that. So, uh, so he, he was, was just, doing that. He was just, he there hit, were some software projects that he needed someone exactly. to work on.
1: Yeah. He, he's like, I really need this. Like, you know, I worked on a library to fingerprint digital audio files. That was just in Python or no, in, it was in C because they needed to use it in the uh, Mac client and the windows client. So, it was like, I need this thing and it needs to be in C, and here's what it needs to do. It's like, okay, we'll sketch it out and, mm. you know, I'll go off and implement I it. Built,
0: so. I built a little something like that in Python with a, sort of a Shazam
1: thing. Mm. Oh, it was not that nearly that complicated. It was really just that uh, the different, if you loaded in like a 16 bit sample into a random DAW and you saved it, sometimes what would happen is that DAW would convert it to, it would, in a lossless way, it would convert it to something else. So it'd be like, oh, I actually like stuff in big Indian, yeah, not little yeah, Indian. Yeah. So it would resave that file in a different format. So whereas if you like just did a shaw of the files, they would look different. Mm. But it was really the exact same mm. sample. And so this was just something that would go in and like understand a, an AU file or a WAV file enough to remove all of those things about this specific byte encoding but still be able to just give you like you know this is a big
0: so push. that regardless of the or regardless of the encapsulation or the change right. you'd still know it's the same sound yeah so
1: yeah and that was and that, i used an existing c library to do that and just wired it all how did you like get
0: that. how did you get into go
1: uh from that um and so i i was not really working on go before splice and so splice had a bunch of go code and so i was like oh okay this is cool i should work on this i like working on this Um uh, but right before that um when i was thinking about my startup um was sort of early docker days and so we were thinking about the paths and how that would work and stuff like that and Docker being all in Go, and we we're like, okay, there's this thing, and it's getting hot, and what does it look like, and does it work, and again, this is five years ago, and so we st- I started reading a lot of Go code in Docker to try to figure out, like, mm. okay, what is it doing, how does it work, and that kind of stuff, so that's, those are my first couple of things, uh, and then it kind of just fits a, it fits where I want to be in the stack a lot of times, which is that I have done tons of C and C++, uh, but I don't like it. I mean, it's just it. There's a lot of it. I feel like all the time I run into like, okay, how do I want to? How do I want to like account for this memory? And how do I want to do this? And how do I want to do that? And uh, on the other side of things, if I'm working in Ruby or in Python or something like that, I'm like, I really want to write this thing that's just a little too low level for the where this language is. And so Go ends up being that thing that's sort of, I mean, I'm not saying anything new for Go programmers, but it's like right yeah, in that yeah. little. Between areas
0: and was uh, was Rubinius your attempt to give you that low level protection for the for the Ruby language?
1: A lot of it, yeah. I mean, like, so some of the stuff that we worked on. Obviously, we were working on a JIT compiler, working on a new garbage collector. I think those were all, those are all just really interesting problems to me. That was why I started working on them in the first place. Um, because you want to try to say like okay like how fast can i get this thing could mm-hmm. i really work on it in this particular capacity like, could i write a uh, really write a network server in like a high-performance network server in this language um some of the other stuff that kind of came out of it that where i was trying to feel like how low can i get this thing was um like i i wrote the original ffi layer that was inside Rubinius that got ported over and is used elsewhere mm. because i was like Okay, I want to like write some Ruby code, and I want to just glue in this C function. I want to glue in this thing from over here, and be able to just kind of work on it pretty seamlessly. So, I mean, it, I would say Ruby is probably was even not even low enough for where I actually think my mm-hmm. sweet spot is now, uh, but it was an attempt to try and pull that down. So, yeah. and
0: have you played around with Rust?
1: A little bit. Um, I read. I can. Now that the lifetime thing is easier, of course, for the last couple of years, um, it's a little bit easier for me to read. I haven't written very much. I've mostly just read at this point. Um, I, I, uh, let's see. Huh. Zoe was two. So this is five years ago or so. I tried to do a Christmas project in Rust. This is like a normal thing for me. I'm like, OK, I'm going to be like visiting people. I'm going to have a week where I just like I can let my mind wander. I'll work on some weird project. And so I was going to write like some random thing in Rust and i think i got a 3 or 4 hours into it and i was like i do not understand how any of these lifetime identifiers work and i was like i i'll just go watch college football instead i just <laughs> it's better now from what i understand it's e- it's simpler it's easier to work now but um
0: and so is go like are you passionate about where go is going and like uh,
1: yeah i mean yeah. i'm not uh i'm never i'm not passionate about Anything the way that people are passionate about like generics and go like mm. in anything in my mm. life mm. I'm not that pa- that passionate I'm interested to see where they decide to take things um, I think that there's uh i I completely understand both or all three the quadratic equation of the positions on those sorts of things um so I'm like I kind of just i'm happy to for it to fall mm. out where it falls out like for instance, if it never happened i would, We'd be like, okay, fine. We'll just figure out figure out a different way to make it happen. Um, and is
0: just just as a sort of a, just to clarify a little yeah. bit, um, generics as a, as an as a, in a response to like interfaces or
1: yeah. I mean, you know, think about thinking about it in sort of like Rust or C plus plus terms. You know, where you've got some like in C plus plus would be a template. I don't, I forget what it is in Rust. I think it's just a thing that takes a type parameter um, that you can i want to say this is a thing and it's i want to be generic i want it to be not concrete i want it to when i instantiate this thing i need to say like oh and i want one of these and i want it with type you know like i want an atomic operation and i want it with a a an in uh you know an 8-bit integer or 16-bit integer or 34 or 32-bit integer or whatever right um so yeah something that you takes those yeah. takes types it can as take well. any of that.
0: yeah and that and that I mean, I I have a C background, and I I uh, in many ways Go to me is is like oh yeah the the the, the thing I it appeals to everything that is C yeah. in me with with uh, uh, but the the part that always just um, I end up I end up sort of so I'm more of a volatile prototyping kind of coder. I, yeah. I like to just. Prototype ideas. My and favorite, my favorite kind. But I always find that I'm struggling against types like, oh my goodness, this 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 method just that works. But now I have to accommodate for, oh well, there's this. It's not always going to be the hmm. the uint of thirty two. or sure. and then I'm like, oh, now I have to take two steps back, and I. So did I think about it incorrectly, or am I banging my head against? The, the idiosyncrasies of the language and is it necessary to be so stuck up about types right
1: now i mean like- i i don't get i don't get particularly hung up on them but i think that the way that i approach the way that i when i when i sit down to write something um i i have a a rough map of what where i want to go with it in my head um and such that like the types that come out when i'm working on it i don't i don't really care i think like, i kind of just like oh yeah I'll just make it an eight, uh, you know, like I'll just make it an int eight or I'll just like in go, at least there's some, gen- some default decisions. Like I'll just make this an int. I don't really yeah, know I mean, what you I just, did. Yeah, yeah so I'll, you, just, I'll just go okay, on with yeah. it. I'm you just
0: kind of take it. the broadest bucket you can take.
1: Yeah. You know, in, unless I specifically am, am working on something where I'm like, okay, I know that the, the width of this integer, for instance, makes a difference. And so I'll, mm. I will think about it in those terms. I, I I'll be honest, this is, bu- this is, I understand the cognitive bias of saying, like, I don't feel like I need generics in Go, but that's because we don't have them. So I don't, Mm. there are definitely instances where I'm sure I would have said, oh man, if I had a way of abstracting this such that I could use it three or four different ways, that would be nice. There are some specific cases, like the trivial cases that get used in generics, that like I would write a min function okay well what do you want to write this a minimum function over okay well the universe of tight you know like that yeah, kind of yeah, thing but yeah. yeah
0: wow so as a family man yeah when when, when do you code on your hobby projects um, you, you have two beautiful humans i do Two daughter's you have a wife
1: who loves you i do um, and a cat who kind of loves me
0: what is the name of the cat
1: fog she's all gray <laughs>
0: what how do you manage your time as a family man then with the coding projects yeah
1: i mean i think that i um i don't I, tr- I try to be as kind to myself as i can about those sorts of things so um there has been times where i've been like man i feel like i'm not getting a- any time to work on these projects and what does that mean and now i i've i've tried i try to be kinder to myself to say like if i don't have the time to work on them i don't when i that wasn't your question but the, so the. What the times that I do have are, you know, like I'll talk to my wife and I'll say, like, hey, you know, like I really want to work on this project tonight. I'm like, okay, great. No problem. I'll m i will you know, I've got a book I'm reading or I want to go work on this other thing too, and so I'll go work on it in the evening. Um, you know, if I wanna, you know, work on it and we we our youngest is four and we still institute like weekend nap times. And so they'll be like, Okay, like you're mm-hmm. gonna go take a nap for two hours, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go work on this thing for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I try to be kind to myself to say, like, there have been times where I'm like, okay, great, I've got this two hours upcoming, I'm going to make all this progress on this thing, and I, like, bu- build it up in my mind, and then the the two hours will arrive, and I'm gonna, like, I think I just want to play Overwatch mm. for two hours instead. Oh. And, 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 and that's totally fine, uh, and I have okay. to be kind to myself about that kind of thing. But, that is
0: interesting. I, 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 I relate to that. Yeah. It's like, when the time comes, you've been waiting for it all morning, and you're like, hmm, I... I just don't want to do this right now.
1: I, 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 in the same way that like I was sort of talking about it you know, a, being an, a hobby painter, I kind of think it, I think of it in that same way, right? Like if you sit down to do it and you're like, I just don't have the energy. I just don't have the mental energy. Then don't do it. You're doing it for fun, right? <laughs> right. It's not a job. I it's think I to be- lost
0: that. I think I lost that. I'm 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 46, and I think, I think startup life has robbed, well, I don't want to be a victim, but I feel like I have been caught in a rut of every single character that I press out of my fingertips has to contribute to some monetary opportunity. <laughs> and if you're not doing that, then why?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I, I definitely don't feel that way. Um, have but, you ever felt that way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I have gotten... I, I don't want to feel that oh, way, oh. and i I think that for years i would I would feel like, well, I can't work on that because that's not going anywhere oh. and I got to the point where I was like, why why do I bother like what is like who am i who there's no one here, it's just me of <laughs> having this my boss is telling me I yeah. can't work on this, yeah, so what I do now um is if I sit down it what i've what i've started to do is identify two separate emotional states one is that the one usually that accompanies the like okay i've got 2 hours up coming and i'm gonna like do so, i'm going to get some work done right that is a separate thing from i'm going to work on project x like and i have the energy and the the and project x is appealing those are two i've i've worked on divorcing those things such that that feeling of like, oh, I want to get something accomplished. I want to do something. I want to have some creative energy. I want to exercise. If I sit down and the thing, this thing that I, maybe I've worked on before, I'm like, oh. Then sometimes I'll just start a brand new thing. I'll just be like, okay, cool. Like, what is, the, what is that, that random idea that's bouncing around in my head? Okay, I'll just work on that for two hours. So I don't you, really care.
0: Now, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. When you read books, do you finish them? No. Uh, so you, you, you basically give yourself permission to say, you know what? I kind of got it. I, I... Yeah. This is it. I'm done.
1: I mean, I uh yeah. I mean I I, I have got I, I have worked on I try to work on as much as I can being honest with myself about like this is my own happiness, right? Like I'm bleeding days, I'm bleeding hours away all the time right here. I should be doing the things that I wanna be so doing true. for my own happiness. I feel so, like
0: I'm on that journey right now. Yeah. You're, you're watching that happen. <laughs> I d- I showed our friend Matt a little pro- prototype I was building the other day and he was mighty impressed and loved it and I was like oh but now I just have to like how do, what is the I feel like I've solved a problem that no one has and how do I ma- map this back to the market and he just looked at me and was like dude you just built something really nice yeah enjoy it
1: yeah just it's it was just for you like I've I've I have written the same weird crypto peer-to-peer program like or five times at this point and i I keep thinking like well like why don't is that what does that say i think all that says is that i really like the beginning of that project that's all it says i just don't like the middle or the end and so i just keep going back and starting over at the beginning maybe maybe i will do it uh maybe i will get to an iteration where i was like oh now i want to do the middle but i just haven't gotten there yet
0: i'm so in love with the beginning of this project I can just see CTOs say to their CEOs, oh, "I just, I just love the beginning of this project yes. so much." <laughs>
1: and the, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, if you're if you're your own CTO of your own life yeah, and, then, and, then and your then, own yeah. happiness, then yeah, you start it five times, and who cares? No, I think is that
0: that is, uh, the, that, is uh, that is a rule to live by. I feel like I'm going to give myself permission. I have about six or seven things. That that whenever I'm in that context, I think, oh, this is this is going to be so fun to do that, and then somehow I get bumped out of that context into mm-hmm. the other one. I'm like, oh shit, okay, there's this one as well. Yeah. And then i and then eventually I'm just paralyzed. I'm like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch BoJack Horseman.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that and then but the the thing that you have to give yourself permission to do is that like, do you feel guilty after watching BoJack? Like, do you at the end of that episode, you're like. Feel, feel guilty again here because I was going to get all this work done and I just squandered half an hour.
0: I actually don't feel that way.
1: Good. Because that's the, I mean like, the, I have ha- absolutely had times where I would, where that would happen, where I'd be like, "Huh, oh man, now I just squandered it again. <laughs> you know, like I tried and now I'm just like, well, if that's what I wanted to be doing with my time right now, then that's that's what I did. I, I do have projects that the other, the other aspect of this sort of e- equation is I have projects that are done. Like I have software projects that are finished. Um, I wrote one actually really early on in Vectra um, that Vectra didn't go anywhere. Kern didn't go anywhere. This project I wrote and I was like, I'm just going to write it soup to nuts and put, be done, put it out there. And it's used like it's a it's it's used. It got picked up and it's used inside Kubernetes now. What and, is it? Uh, there's a I wrote a go JSON patch library and it's just JSON patch. It doesn't. I mean yeah, it has no. like th- three operations. It's kind of like apply a patch, make a patch, and then like manage a merge patch, which is a different like there's two RFCs that it, it implements. But it's done. It implements the RFC. I get occasional bugs where people are like, "Hey, it doesn't do this right." I'm like, "Okay, yep, I'll merge your thing." Done. But like that is interesting from uh from the other side of this, which is that like you know, you've got projects that you're always you're continually starting. But let's be honest, have you ever worked on a software project that's finished like actually finished not just like we've decided not to work on it anymore <laughs> right no yeah, no that's and so this is this was really interesting for me because i was like i'm done i am this is there's nothing else to do if there's if the the bounds of this problem space are bigger it's not in this yes, package yes, it just doesn't yes. that's some some other concern and so now i know and that was good for me because now i understand what it looks like to have a, a finished project which is fine but it's it doesn't I like that 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 people use that piece of software. Mm. That process, piece of software. I'll be perfectly honest; doesn't bring me joy. It's just it's there. Um, it's a liability. It's a burden for me. But it's not a big one because it's done. But it's not like, and so having finished a piece of pro, uh, of software, now I realize that the joy is not in the finishing.
0: Oh, right.
1: Because I, right. I finished something, and now I'm like, and oh yeah. Like, okay, and
0: now uh, you have to do mer- merges, and yeah, yeah. you have to
1: feel right. So the, the joy is at the beginning. The joy is all about the like, oh, I've got this crazy idea. That I just want to go implement.
0: I'm, uh, I, I read the, the Walter Isaacson book on Leonardo da Vinci, and it was always interesting for me how he was on consignment to do all these amazing statues yeah. and paintings and how he just struggled through those.
1: Yeah, you want to talk about somebody who starts things and but never then finishes them? But these
0: notebooks are like yeah. all these unfinished thousands and thousands yeah. of unfinished ideas,
1: right? Because the 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 creative energy, the joy for those things is not in the finishing; it's in the that like. Is profound. Yeah, I mean, like all like the flying machines and stuff like that. Those he said that he's not doing those and being like, what's a better way to get from Milan to Rome. He didn't write those for that. Right. He just wrote those. Cause they're like, this is a crazy idea. What it. if it's a spinner thing? Yes. What if it's yes. like a man that looks what like a the- chicken? Right. <laughs> I mean, like,
0: wow, man, I love it. Are you, are there any conferences that you're going to or speaking at that? That's exciting you or
1: I haven't really been like, so I'm still involved with Ruby central. Uh, oh, so on, yeah, you plan conferences. Yeah, I do. Yeah, so those you know, are,
0: I so I plan conferences now.
1: We should plan conference. No, uh, uh, that right, doesn't that, work. That
0: work. I mean, it almost worked. You know,
1: uh, Ruby Conf used to be like right after OOpsala for a few years. Like they were like, oh, that there'll be similar crowds and stuff like that. I think I don't think that lasted too long. A couple of years. That was before I was a.
0: So uh, I um, started this little CTO conference, which mm-hmm. I call 0111 mm-hmm. and. um uh so i kind of went into this whole conference planning thing a little bit yeah which in and of itself is incredibly rewarding i mean talk about something
1: that never you never finish
0: <sighs> yeah um all conference planning is unfinished
1: yeah you the the event just occurs and you're like okay somewhere, i guess, we're, I guess we're somewhere in
0: the planning phase the event actually occurs yeah and, so, then he, and
1: you're like I guess we're not going to finish this. We already did the. Event. What are
0: you seeing at RubyConf and RailsConf? Like what, what are you seeing? Yeah. Like 2018, 2019. What what's happening?
1: Yeah. So I mean I think that the and the, we get this question fairly often when we're talking to people about the conferences. Which is, the, is like, Matt
0: still alive? Is he?
1: <laughs> maybe still. He's doing great. <laughs> still, still alive. Still, uh, still comes. He's very. Um, he is very gracious with his time. So you know, like we schedule the conference, we talk to him about when we we're gonna schedule, and he, didn't, you know, he's always there. So, uh, and same, same with DHH. You know, with, with RailsConf, you know, we talk with him about his time and make sure that he can come and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's been one instances where he, one instance where he couldn't make it, but for the most part, again, super gracious with with his time. Um, I think the interesting thing for me is people all say like, well, I thought that like JavaScript was the new hotness, and so like, do people still go to RubyConf? People still go to RailsConf? Uh, yes the, is the answer um our our attendance hasn't re- hasn't dropped off but i think the interesting thing for us is we always ask like you know for how many people is this your first time at this conference mm. and for both of them we get about half which is a huge number to think about to think that like every year this is the, someone's first railsconf and this is someone's first earth this is someone's first rubyconf and there is a core group uh that is you know coming that has been to all the conferences but I would say that represents maybe twenty to thirty percent of the of the total number of actual attendees. That a huge number is people. Who, that is amazing,
0: and we're talking like attendees in the high hundreds or thousands. Or? Thousands.
1: So so RubyConf is around eight hundred. RailsConf is around twelve hundred or so. So
0: I would be interested to know how many people go the second time.
1: Uh, it's there's a drop off. Um, so, you know, if you have 50% that are brand new, I would say probably, uh, 30% this is their second time.
0: And are you still involved with Ruby and RailsConf because it's sort of just, it's 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 you just it's your people it's your tribe you love it yeah, it's
1: absolutely i mean i it's it's far more i just
0: saw your eyes change a little bit you were you you had a sense of belonging
1: <laughs> no it is i mean it's way for me it's way more about community yeah, than it is yeah. about the actual technical stuff at this point right like i have i may like i cut all of my professional chops in the ruby community um and so and i have tons of friends that are in that are I know from the Ruby community uh, that are still there. That like you know I go to those conferences to mm-hmm. see them and to mm-hmm. hang out with them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think that the the thing that we talk about is that w- we know that that's true for other people. And so it's important that we make sure that that we have an environment in which those people who feel like oh I want to be coming back and I want to be seeing my friends and I want to be doing that can still feel like it's their conference as well, right? We don't want to mm. make it you know, we still have 50% new people. So we're like, okay, we always make this joke. Um, can we do another, una- should we have another testing track? Like that, we always have that joke because it's been every time. And then we say to ourselves, 50% of people are brand new. <laughs> so you could literally do the same conference, the exact same talks every single year and you you, you would still hit. You still would not, people would still be like, oh, it's a great talk. I'm glad I, I'd I, never heard any of this stuff before. Um, We don't do that, obviously. But that's the important thing to remember: is that it doesn't. We are, as a conference organizer that has all these new people all the time, it doesn't have to be every every session doesn't have to be something you've mm. never done before.
0: Yeah, and I think the I think the thing that I'm um, uh, learning as well is that the the camaraderie of people seeing each other again. I think as an organizer, you're tempted to go down you know the other route, which is you know the celebrity speakers the sure. the the cutting edge topics mm-hmm. and then uh and then time and time again with the survey feedback it's just people just yeah. loved the way they felt and felt connected and
1: yeah absolutely and and we get that a lot in our surveys uh you know we try to make sure that the space is conducive to like people just hanging out mm. and like having that kind of thing um you know we try to make sure that um you know there's i guess not to, not to poo-poo my own event here, but like, I try to think of, I try to make sure that there's at least two or three talks that I would want to go to at, mm. the, at, the, the, at the conference. And the reason is that like, I understand that I represent a very weird slice of the Ruby and Rails community having been to so many conferences and having an in on so many topics and speakers and all that kind of stuff. And so I like to think that like if I can make sure that like, I would want to go to this talk and I want to go to this talk and I would want to go to this talk, that I have I fulfill sort of those slices. And so that and that's actually one thing that we do with the program committee as well, is try to make sure that like make sure that you would want to go to some of these talks, right? And therefore the program committee helps us represent those different slices of personas of people that would want to do things, right?
0: And is the uh is the is the uh is Ruby still more the uh Purists and the uh systems type people, and Rails more the application developers. And uh, I think I used to. A little bit, yeah. One was more commercial than the other one, is uh, what yeah, I've heard people saying.
1: Yeah, we definitely. RailsConf is definitely the more commercial one. um You know, like we put up, uh, we always have a big sponsor hall. uh We, you know, make sure that it, it feels that way. And that's a really carryover. O'Reilly used to do all of that on the show management side before we took it over in 2012. And so uh we kept we've basically kept it the same since then uh because that we felt that that was a good like that's what sponsors wanted that people liked having a big sponsor hall uh, and being able to go and and you know, interact with the sponsors and and having a slightly larger conference feel uh whereas we yeah we think of rubyconf as sort of the more community conference i don't some people would say that it looks, it feels like it's just thrown together. It's very much not thrown together. We actually try to make it feel a mm. little bit like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're just our friends getting together. Yeah. Let's just say, yeah. invite 800 of your friends and yeah. let's go to a conference. Yeah. Like yeah. we actually want to make yeah. it feel that way because it feels very, it, make, it helps people feel like, oh, it's just this authentic community atmosphere. And, uh,
0: and honestly, uh, that's how I, I went to a few and and, uh, and that's how I felt. I right. felt actually. I felt more disconnected from the Rails conference than I did from the sure. Ruby conference. Um yeah and 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 to DHHS credit I I remember standing in line to shake his hand and for that yeah. minute I felt like the most important person in his world.
1: Yeah. I mean yeah he's again so so gracious with his time um and the, yeah we love having him so
0: So can I can I go back a little bit to HashiCorp and Terra, yeah. Terraform? Sure, absolutely. So, so as someone who isn't actively scaling a company and who feels like every morning I wake up, there's a new AWS service or a new something, something. It not feel that way. Uh, what, what is Terraform? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know it's in the context of a suite of products that HashiCorp does. So yep. if you could talk about that a little sure, bit. Sure, absolutely. And then if you could just kind of slip in well, what exactly Kubernetes is. Yeah. Uh, in a way that will make me feel like I actually knew what it was as opposed to like, oh, shit, I should have known what he just said. <laughs> sure. So, so be uh, gentle is what I'm saying. Okay,
1: be gentle. Um, you're going to have to remind me in case oh, I go off okay. on a tangent here and bring me back. <laughs> so Terraform is a orchestration tool. Well, okay, because that, that's a meaningless word in this context. So let's say that you have decided, you know what, like I want to I wanna use the cloud. I want to put stuff in AWS, It's the easy one to use. And so AWS gives you a whole bunch of services, and you think about them as sort of primitives, as things that you can use to implement your thing, right? So you might decide, okay, well, I need to use a database, uh, and I need a, 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 w- a place to put like uploaded files, and I need a server to run this thing on. So AWS, you have to, you have. Terraform doesn't help you understand how to map those concepts to the AWS ones. You have to do that on your own. But once you've done that on your own, you, you decide, okay, well, uh, I need, I'm going to need an RDS database, which is their Mm -hmm. database product. I'm going to need an S3 bucket, which is their place to basically store any blobs. And I'm going to need an EC2 instance, which is just a place to run whatever programs you want. And so you absolutely can go through, they have a, Console that you can go through and you, a web console you can click mm. through like make, make RDS instance. Yeah. You can type in some details, make S3 bucket, can type which is the details. world I'm in. Yeah. And, and that's not very common. Um, so let's say you did that. And now let's say you need to do that 50 times mm. because let's say you have 50 apps, 50 microservices that all use different databases or whatever it might be. The management of trying to understand who, what's this EC2 instance used for? And what's this over here? And what's that over there? And how does this I've work together? I've had that
0: with like four EC2 instances.
1: Yeah, right. right. I'm like,
0: what is this again?
1: Yeah. Um, so what Terraform does is it gives you a place to define all of those things that you wanted and as well as treating it like code so you can abstract it. So you could be like, okay, I want an EC2 instance. And I, really these 50 are all the same. The only difference is the color, something like that. So you can have it, you can abstract this idea of an EC2 instance into a module and then you can basically invoke that module to say give me an EC2 instance and then what you can do is you can say give me 50 of mm. those instantiated with different Now is whatever.
0: this is this the world w- when I had my startup is this the world of puppet and ansible and is is, is oh,
1: it's a it's a little bit below it a little bit below that a little bit below that level right so in the case of ansible and puppet and stuff like that those are typically they have grown functionality similar to terraform over time right like i know puppet has a bunch of modules to like create databases and interact with uh, with uh, aws things and stuff like that Um, so you can do similar things but i think that at least i typically think of chef and puppet and ansible as the like i have a compute i have a computer somewhere and i want to configure it to do x y and z okay
0: whereas terraform is more this is the way we like to deploy or this is the the, yeah. the, the DNA of our yeah. infrastructure.
1: I guess the, the an an analogy to use would be like Terraform is the thing that like puts the roads down and all of the houses and where all the mailboxes are and stuff like that. And Chef and Ansible and Puppet are the things inside the houses of how mm-hmm. you decorate it. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's helpful. Um and so the you and know, it's, it's it's open source. It is. It's open source.
0: And HashiCorp does the managed service of that.
1: Yeah. So we have Terraform Enterprise, which gives you a bunch of collaboration features that aren't in the actual open okay, source. Okay. And one.
0: is that what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So what I work on is private Terraform Enterprise, which is the on-premises version of our sort of the 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 app that is normally in the SaaS. Yeah.
0: So when a CTO is listening to this and they aren't using Terraform, yeah and they are manually configuring things mm-hmm. or they're using a different service, which I think Amazon's is cloud Formation. Or, yeah. Uh, when should they say, okay, it's, it might be a good time for me to explore using Terraform. Sure.
1: Yeah, so there's, I'll, I'll do the first one first and the second one second. So um, the, the easy one, if you're thinking about should I use Terraform, is to say, go in and look at your bill And can you tell? Can you explain what every single line item is on your bill? And if there are things on your bill, where you are like, I don't know what these EC2 instances do. Then it might be time to think Mm. about using Terraform. Um, One of the things that Terraform, which is
0: really early on. I mean, yeah. I I mean, yeah. Like nowadays, (laughs) nowadays,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like nowadays, that's any time you've gotten like almost pre-production, right? Absolutely. And and then the ironic part is that. Adopting Terraform early is easier than adopting it later. Which
0: is what's going to be one of my questions. Yeah.
1: Um, So... uh,
0: The second question was around cloud formation and Terraform.
1: So the difference between... Oh, I I remember what my point was before, which is one of the big features of Terraform is that you're defining it as code. And as a result of that, you check in your layouts into a VCS. So you check it into GitHub or wherever you might be using. And as a result of that, when you're trying to figure out like who did this? Like who added these instances? You can go back in your VCS and you can say like, "Hey Scott, did you really need 12 redshift clusters?" "Oh no, you mistyped that. You meant 1." Okay, well, let's go fix that. And the thing about fixing it
0: Scott, if you're listening, that's kind of a Yeah. kind of a way to manage you right yeah, now.
1: Yeah. I mean, like get some code reviews. Um but the nice thing about Terraform is that you change you you change that 12 to a 1 in your Terraform config and you tell Terraform to apply that and it says okay I'm going to go delete 11 redshift instances and it just basically does oh. that for you right
0: So if I uh, so one of my challenges just as I'm prototyping things is always the where do I put it to make it go live hmm. So you know you can go to Heroku you can sure. you can fire up those instances is could Terraform be a way for me as a lone coder to just document, like you know how we all used to Git push our shell scripts? Yep. And Is it is it a, is it a way for me to just have my deployment strategy in my back pocket?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I have used it in that exact same capacity um, on AWS, where what I'll do is I'll have something that's like, oh, I've got I need this, I need a database, I need this other thing, and then I needed an EC2 instance. I mean, the you have to craft it a little bit specially because. Like in the case of EC2, what you end up doing is there's a way of injecting just a shell script to run on boot, right, in an EC2 instance, and so that is one just quick and easy way. Like, okay, go run this thing, and maybe that thing is going to run Ansible, maybe it's going to run Chef, maybe it's just going to like download your program and then just run it on a port and just okay, we're good, good to go.
0: Does do you make it easy to manage all these the security credentials and the IAM profiles and all that stuff?
1: There are Terraform resources, which is the primitive for the thing that exists out there for IAM roles and all that kind of stuff. So you can go through and you can define a, a Terraform module that's basically just like, how do I want to, how did I want to set up the users? Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to make a user mm. called Evan and I want mm. to give him these permissions and I want to do that sort of thing. So yeah, you can absolutely manage it.
0: That and then way. where do the, where do the private keys go?
1: So in the Terraform, what, so after you run Terraform, what you get is a state file, which is uh, just basically like what what is the lay of the land? What did I do in this particular instance? And that's how, by the way, when you change those, that 12 to a one, it knows I need to go delete 11 of these because it's it tries to reconcile the state file with what it has defined, right? And so in the case of those secrets, they actually end up in the state file. So you have to keep your state file secure. And that's one of the things that Terraform Enterprise does is it actually does state file, it holds the state file for you and it does all the encryption and all the management of your state file. So you don't have to mm. do that. There are built into the open source version. There are ways of managing your state file, so you can manage the state file by pushing it out to um, to S three. Um, you can you can just have it on disk, and you can. We don't usually recommend people checking in a VCS, but we know people do it. Um, you and put then, it
0: on a USB stick and put it on your keyring.
1: Absolutely, perfectly valid place to put it. And so in that side that state that state file would have your secrets, and you could go in and you could run like Terraform state list, and it would give you a list of all the resources. And then if you were like, and one of those would be like an 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 AIM user or AIM role with a name, let's say Evan. If you did show on that one, um, it would show you, you could look at like the keys it would give you the access key and the, the secret key. So keys. then
0: in your dev team, no one is logging into a console and doing anything. It's all happening through a Terraform script yeah. or something. Correct.
1: I mean, beautiful. you may log into the console to, to double check something or go look at billing history or something mm. like that, but you, you try and shy away from going in and clicking and making a bunch of things because then they're not, yeah, they're you're not, not tracking them. they're not, they're not, them. not tracking
0: them. No, I love that. Um, do you... Uh, do we, didn't,
1: you have, we didn't answer about CloudFormation. You want me to answer that one?
0: We haven't, and you also haven't slipped in the Kubernetes thing yet. Okay, we'll do that. Kay. Okay. But I want the second answer as well, but I do want to just say... Yes. With Terraform, do you have to specify an AWS account, or is does it obfuscate the whole cloud, the infrastructure? So, what I did in uh, Amazon, I can also do in Google or good question, and or Azure.
1: Yeah, so it does not; it is not agnostic. So, when you make a thing on a, on AWS, you have to do it with the AWS related primitives. And the reason um, was a very specific. They did this on purpose when they were working on Terraform really early on. Uh, Mitchell and Armand, um, they made this decision because to to not abstract it, but in there, but instead to give you the tools to write the abstraction yourself, if you if that's what you needed, because the the com- base the common denominator amongst that you would have to be to be agnostic amongst all those three would be not really useful, right? It'd be like oh, I want a computer. And here's an SSH key, and make give me a computer with an IP address like that. It, because, like for instance, how do you secure? How do you do the security of an instance between AWS and Azure? Totally different security mm, groups and mm. what 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 all of the things you have at your disposal in order to secure them are completely different. And so it doesn't. There are. Uh, folks who make modules that are meant to be more agnostic but they they have to leave these big holes in functionality Mm. because they just don't map
0: Mm. so So if you like if you are the the point you're making is if you are baking redundancy into your Terraform uh, strategy you can just go and programmatically do that so when you say computer it's a label for other
1: exactly it can just be a module called server and inside that thing can say like okay yeah, I wanted to make this is a server to make it on Azure, and this is one to make it on AWS. I do
0: or have a world where I wish that instead of saying Siri
1: or Alexa or Google, we were saying computer. You can turn that on. You can make your Echo respond to computer, and then you can talk into your mouse, and you can go, "Hello, computer." <laughs>
0: computer, I'm excited for that world. Okay.
1: Um, as for cloud formation, is a good segue to that answer, which is cloud formation is AWS only. So if you wanted to be able to orchestrate things that are not AWS related, um, that would be where Terraform comes in. And like the simple example here is just that like you use a different DNS provider and you want to set up a DNS record and it's not Route 53. Mm. There's a Terraform provider probably for that DNS provider. You can go set that up, right? Uh,
0: You mean in the sort of the public domain? Uh What I mean is
1: someone's already done that. Yeah. There's tons of modules. Oh, There's tons of ah, modules that provide so tons of resources throughout, you know, vast swaths of services what, out there.
0: What is this common theme with you? Like this whole infrastructure thing?
1: I think it's fun. Are I mean, you,
0: I, I guess, the, let me, I just want to ask. Yeah. I want to know how you got into computing as well as part of your answer.
1: Yeah. Um, I I kind of got, well, I mean, like I, i i got a computer when i was i don't know 10 or so uh and i would i loved upgrading ms-dos on it uh (laughs) no i did like i I remember distinctly remember going to software etc in the mall and getting the like like uh ms-dos 622 update disc and being like yes i wonder what's gonna be on this puppy um so I uh, I really I think that the way that the computer has to operate at that sort of that below the shine level is almost more interesting than the the shiny part. Um a part I why I think that is I'm not sure. Um I love the like how things work books. Like this is what the inside of the machine looks like and so I love that like how does this thing actually operate and what does it look like and can it be made to work better and why does it do that? And um, I have a, that that's just that sort mm. of tickles my fancy. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, no, you answered it. Yeah. Okay.
0: Nailed it. I guess my, my if you can extrapolate yeah. that, where is this going? Me personally? No. Or? Infrastructure as a service. Yeah. You know, are, we, are we entropying to just one or two big machines in the sky?
1: Probably I mean it's, it's it's interesting because you know I think that uh, one of the, the topics that gets talked about at work a lot is the adoption of the cloud and so um, you know the the it's it been perceived that like the bigger companies were going to be slower to do that they were going to think of like oh I need to have my own computer or so I need to have my own this that and the other thing and it turns out that um, the big clouds are better at running computers than they are at at it and so they've kind of realized like oh I should go on and I should start to put stuff in AWS and I don't need to be putting it in my own data center um, in the basement or whatever. And so I, th- I think that the interesting thing is a kind of a question of like right now, Amazon gives you computers and services, but they also give them to you somewhere on planet earth. And you have to make that decision right now. You mm-hmm. have to say like, oh, I really want to run this thing and I really want to run it in Sao Paulo. I really want to run this thing in Frankfurt, whatever. Um, I think that the, from my perspective, the like 10-year the horizon that would be interesting is where you don't have to make that decision anymore, right? Where you're like, I just need a, I just, somewhere on planet Earth, I'd like a server and I need to do these things. And you don't have to make the decision about like, well, where, like what data center yeah. do I put it in? Because how do you pick? Like I started using, U.S. West 2 at one point in time, I guess because I'm on the West Coast, but there's no, there's no, no rhyme no, or reason. No, no. Um, and so I think that abstractions, that, things that give you abstractions that are more like, I, d- I actually just want to think of it like a fully abstracted thing and where the implementation of that might mean that like, like let's say I, I want five servers and I'm getting requests from a bunch of, a bunch of places and the cloud decides you know what, the server right now isn't doing a lot. I'm going to stop sending it requests and I'm going to shut it down and I'm going to bring it up over in Japan because you're getting a bunch of requests that are coming from that Japanese, from from Asia Pacific. And now that server is just running closer to those things. And I didn't know that it moved. It just moved on its own. I think that is probably the most interesting thing because you still are making decision about putting a computer in someone else's data center, yes. literally in a place, like yes. in a physical yes. location. Not, literally not in the clouds. No, it's just some. <laughs> I mean, it's always going to be someone else's computer, but it doesn't, it has yet to live up to the cloud mm. aspect to it. You still are making those decisions. Now, other clouds, um, like I know Google, I'm pretty sure Google doesn't have regions. You just have everywhere, but you still, are make, you still have to make a decision about where this thing's running. And then once it's running, it's running you got to just mm. you you know if you want to move it you want to do something else and I, so i think that starting to if if we abstracted at the at those layers the idea that a computer is or is not running that becomes this super mm. interesting little mm. nugget mm. to say well i don't know like if it's not getting any requests don't run it yeah and it, and,
0: and and that'll create this 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 feeling of just we're in this this network fog. It just yeah, is. It just
1: is. Yeah. And I mean, and that's what the, 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 the desire for serverless is. I and mean, with Lambda and all the other functions as a service, that's the, that's the appeal is to say like, I don't care if you run or not, just run when you need just, to run. Yeah.
0: And I just have this little idea, this business logic, yeah. just go do it. Yeah. And Does that excite you serverless?
1: Serverless specifically is, is kind of narrow. You still are making decision about where you're going to run it, by the way, yeah, yeah. even in those cases. Um, I think that I think it's interesting because it allows people uh, I'm I'm all, all in favor of more constraints and seeing what people do with those constraints like I know Lambda you can only run something for like five minutes at most okay great what are you gonna do with those five mm. minutes right that's an interesting like how are you gonna build a thing that only works in that way um, I think that those functions are meant to be like do a thing get get back to me I don't think that they've they've haven't at least to my knowledge they haven't gotten over the point of being like run a just run, just like go compute some genome stuff, like just do whatever you Mm -hmm. need to do. And if you decide, you know, you want to take a break, take a breather, start yourself up in another data center somewhere. Like we haven't gotten to that point. That I think is the interesting bit to me. Um, I mean, part of the reason it's interesting is because it's foggy in my mind, whereas serverless, I can see how serverless works. Like in my mind, I can see that like, okay, you put that file there and you got this request and I started this thing Mm -hmm. up over here. Mm -hmm. Whereas like true Location like, um, independent. Um, yeah, it's foggy in my mind. Yeah, and yeah. that fog is interesting.
0: Yeah. So now that we've gotten through the intro, I can now ask <laughs> you. Evan, <laughs> Evan, Evan we're, we're done, man. We're done. I don't know how this happened. This is what happens who,
1: when you talk to me. Ask my coworkers.
0: No, no, this is what happens when you're having too much fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you, brother. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for hanging. Any questions for, for Eric or... Okay. Scott? No. Scott? Scott? Yeah. No no questions. Okay, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. Have you chatted with the CTO lately? Hi, thank you for listening to the CTO Studio. If you don't mind, take a quick second and please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. Go to thectostudio.com for more information on what we're doing at 7CTOs. We also have a video or two for you that could be a helpful resource for you as you're managing your company. So thank you for listening.